Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I was hoping to get started with this show without any gremlins, but I can tell you right now there's probably going to be at least one. So if I'm suddenly interrupted by Tristan Nunez, your introduction of introducing the program, that will be our gremlin for the evening. Let's hope it happens quickly. Hello and welcome to the June 27th edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This episode 165 hey of the series. This is Tristan Nunez, driver of the 7-0 Skyactiv Mazda prototype, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest radio network. Not too bad. He just did it once. Let's hope it doesn't happen two or three other times. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Mullally and myself will be discussing the world of Trans Am racing, as well as talking about whatever other motorsports topics pop into the conversation. First off, we'd like to apologize for the technical issues that we've battled over the past month or so. We should have known that after starting the year with a strong slate of guests and no issues whatsoever. Better luck we'd get over this eventually. Hopefully, the gremlins have moved on to other things, and we can get back to the business at hand. Luckily, our guests from a couple of weeks ago have agreed to return to the Thunderdome once again, and let's see what happens. Before we get to them, however, let's talk a little bit about Watkins Glen, shall we? The picturesque Finger Lakes region of western New York plays host to fantastic field of 37 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship this Sunday for the annual Salem Six Hours of Glen. In addition to it being the sixth round of the 12-race WeatherTech Championship season, it's also round three of the four-race IMSA Michelin Endurance Cup, meaning it's time for drop time for teams, drivers, and manufacturers to start making their moves to the championship run. The Salem Six Hours of the Glen will be televised Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN with live streaming of the race in its entirety starting at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Sunday on NBCSports.com and the NBC Sports app. IMSA Radio also will live coverage throughout the weekend on IMSA.com and RadioLamans.com with complete race coverage also airing on Sirius XM Radio, Sirius Channel 218 slash XM, Channel 202 slash Streaming 972. The number six Acura Team Penske ARX05 Daytona Prototype Air National co-drivers Juan Pablo Montoya and Dane Cameron come into the Glen riding a two-race win streak. They scored the first WeatherTech Championship victory two races ago in the Acura Sports Car Challenge in Mid-Ohio, and made two in a row earlier this month in the Chevrolet Sports Car Classic at Detroit's Belle Isle Park. 
If they can score the hat trick this Sunday at the Glen, a track where they finished third last year, they'll be the first set of co-drivers to win three straight WeatherTech Championship races overall since brothers Jordan and Ricky Taylor won the first five races of the 2017 season en route to that year's Prototypes Championship title in the number 10 Konica Minolta Cadillac DPI VR. Cameron M. Montoya currently second in the DPI Championship standings, trailing the number 31 Wayland Engineering Cadillac DPI VR co-drivers Felipe Nasser and Pippo Durrani by five points, 152 to 147. Cameron and Montoya aren't the only ones riding a two-race win streak to the fill in six hours of the Glen. Number 912 Porsche GT, Team 911 RSR co-drivers Lawrence Venthor and Earl Bamber have won each of the past two GT Le Mans GTLM class races, winning the Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix at Long Beach in April and at Mid-Ohio last month. The overall Porsche GT team comes to Watkins Glen carrying a three-race win streak as its number 11 Porsche 911 RSR, shared by full-season drivers Patrick Pillett and Nick Tandy and endurance teammate Frederick Makowicki, when March is mobile 12 hours of being presented by Advanced Auto Parts. If either the number 911 or 912 wins on Sunday, the team will match Ford Chip Ganassi Racing run of four straight wins from 2018, shared between the number 66 Ford GT and co-drivers Joey Hand and Dirk Mueller and the number 67 Ford GT of Richard Westbrook and Ryan Briscoe. If the number 912 wins again, it will be the first three-race win streak for the same drivers and cars since 2016 when Westbrook and Briscoe won at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, the Salem Six Hours of the Glen, and at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park in the number 67 Ford GT. The back-to-pack wins have propelled the number 912 duo known as Bamthor to the top of the WeatherTech Championship GTLM point standings by seven points, 126 through 119, over two time defending GTLM champions, Jan Magnussen and Antonio Garcia in the number three Corvette Racing C7R. Jack Hawksworth and Richard Highstand are looking to do something this weekend that has not been done before in the GT Daytona class. The co drivers of the number 14 AM Vassar Sullivan Lexus RCF GT3 are looking to become the first to win three consecutive GTD races. They won the inaugural WeatherTech Sports Car, WeatherTech. Sprint Cup Championship round earlier this month at Detroit after winning the WeatherTech Championship race at Mid-Ohio last month. Their second GTD team this year to win two straight after the number 11 GRT Grasser Racing Team squad of Mirko Bertoli, Rolf Inikin, and Rick Brookers won both the season opening Relics 24 at Daytona and at Sebring. But nobody's ever won three straight GTD races. Hawksworth, who took the modal polar board in the GTD class here last year, the Glen, and High Stand will be joined in the pursuit of victory by Swiss racer Philippe Froman Weiler. High Stand and Hawksworth are currently third in the WeatherTech Championship DTD sport standings. The Detroit race on the count towards the WeatherTech Sprint Cup with 77 points. They're three points behind their teammates in the number 12 Lexus, Townsend Bell, and Frankie Montecalvo, and seven behind co leaders Trent Hindman and Mario Fonbarker in the number 86 Meyer Shank Racing Acura NSX GT3. If history is our guide, anybody watching the NBCSN telecast or the live stream on the NBC Sports app will want to hang around to the very end. The last three consecutive six hours of the Glen and four of the last five have been decided through late race heroics. 
Last year, Stevenson Simpson got a monster restart with 35 minutes to go, charging from third in the number 99 JDC Miller Motorsports OREA LMP2 machine to the lead around Montoya and Jordan Taylor, heading into the Glen's famed Interloop chicane to take the lead and the win. Two years ago, Simpson was involved in another restart lead change with 24 minutes to go, this time taking the lead from Joa Barbosa and the number five Mustang sampling Cadillac DPI VR. But Barbosa eventually battled back, retaking the lead and the victory with 11 minutes to go. There were two separate restarts inside of the last 25 minutes of the 2016 race that bunched the field, but Barbosa managed to keep them at bay to win in the number five Mustang sampling Corvette DP. Heavy rains in 2015 forced the race to end under full course caution. In the first WeatherTech Championship, six hours of the Glen in 2014, Westbrook then, driving the number 90 v- Visit Florida Racing Corvette DP, took advantage of a restart with 11 minutes to go to rest the lead and the victory from Alex Brundle in the number 42 Oak Racing Nissan Morgan LMP2 machine. So if there's a late start restart, buckle up because it'll be exciting. Anything can happen in the TA2 race in the Trans Am Series presented by Pirelli drivers. Liberty thrilling around on the streets of Belle Isle during the series' 21st appearance at the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear. A sensational race that, finished, that featured four different leaders in 36 laps saw two Chevrolets claim the top two steps of the podium during the TA2 powered by AEM Muscle Car Challenge on Saturday. After the front row starters found trouble, it was the underdogs of practice and qualifying that came through for the big results to open the Trans Am Detroit weekend. Following a breathtaking inside pass, Canadian Misha Goldberg held the lead in the number 10 BC race car Chevrolet Camaro to take his first Trans Am win of the 2019 season. In his 99th Trans Am start, Tony Av wheeled the number 25 BC race car Chevrolet Camaro to a strong second place finish with the championship contender Dylan McCavern and the number 77 Liquid Molly prefix Ford Mustang claiming the last step on the podium. The prologue of the Muscle Car Challenge story opened with 2018 winner Tony Bufamante in a number 34 Mike Cope Racing Ford Mustang, starring on pole with reigning TA2 champion and 2018 Motor City Dash winner Rafa Matos in the number 88 Beer Dimensional Services Group Chevrolet Camaro in second. As the green flag dropped, Bufamante and Matos immediately built up a gap from the pack. Matos took lead in lap two, but Bufamante paid, ba- paid back the favor before the drivers crossed the stripe for lap three. The past Detroit Grand Prix winners squeezed side by side into turn five. Matos lost the battle and was forced to the pits with a flat tire. Bufamante continued the race without much contention from the field, building more than a three-second gap from P2 until a spin in turn one sent the Mike Cope racing driver back to fifth. In his first TA2 race of the season, veteran driver Av led the middle segments of the muscle car challenge, dicing back and forth position with his BC race car's teammate. Gokberg stuck his nose to the inside of Av to squeeze his way into the race race lead on lap 18. Gokberg and Av's run not only gave BC race cars his first Trans Am win, but also first ever one to finish. Starting in seventh place, McAvern methodically weaved through the 2.35-mile street course with ease as he nearly caught up with Stevens Miller racing teammate and hometown favorite Mark Miller. Miller tried to fend off McAvern defending position for several laps, but McAvern's Ford was, a- was able to edge Miller's dodge in the corners as McAvern raced into the podium position and the championship leader had to settle for a fourth-place finish. Following a setback early in the race with a cut tire, the forced a slow lap and tripped pit road. Montos changed from last to first, last place to finish eighth in the race. 
the recovery Aaron Devatos, the cool shirt, cool move of the race. It looks like we're going to have a last-minute change this evening, and unfortunately, Misha Goldberg will not be able to join us tonight. But we do have another guest who's going to be on the line momentarily. And while I'm straightening that out, let's go ahead and listen to Short Track Racing from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. Stand by.
once again, that was Short Track Racing from Ron Pastana and the Pit Crew. You can find information about Ron Pastana and the Pit Crew by searching for them in your favorite web browser. We've had a little bit of a change of plan for this evening as our our lineup of drivers is shifted just a teeny bit here. Uh, we're going to be moving on from the world of Trans Am for a moment and talking to Austin Kazuba who's currently an F3 driver. He drove for Formula 4 for three years, just transitioned to the F3 season this year. We don't have a lot of information about Mr. Kazuba, and we apologize for that, but that'll make it for a more interesting interview, and let's hope that this person is on the line right now. Hello, are you Austin? Yes, sir. Awesome. Thank you for calling in this evening on such short notice. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, enjoying the weather down here in Texas. Cool. First off, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got your start in racing? We didn't get much information before you called in tonight, so it'd be great to hear a little bit more about your history. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, basically, I guess to start, uh, I mean, growing up, I, I never uh, did anything on four wheels. I uh, I was a motocross racer, and uh, I actually got a, a bit of a, a late start into the uh, the car racing side of things and uh, didn't start actually go-karting until I was almost 17 years old. So it was a bit late in comparison to uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the kids that I'm racing against, but uh, did a, a few years in karting, and then uh, we transitioned into the Formula 4 Championship and uh, most recently into the F3 America's Championship. And what are the differences between the, uh, the F4 Series and the F3s? Uh, I mean, so the, the the actual racing platform is the same, which is you know, nice because, uh, I mean, you're comfortable with standing starts and uh, that sort of thing and, and the, the FIA platform of, of racing. Uh, the, the car is where the big difference is. And uh, it's, it's interesting, the, the attitude of, of the car feels a bit the same, uh, but, it, but it does have, you know, obviously lots more horsepower and, and uh, downforce. You know, the, the wings are, you know, it's got, proper wing elements and that kind of thing on it and uh makes a big difference to you know when it when it comes to the driving experience it's uh it's a totally different animal but it's an absolute blast and it's a, it's an easy adjustment it's a lot easier than than i initially thought i know you said you were you're were more interested in motocross and that sort of stuff when you were growing up growing up who was your racing idol uh you know that's <laughs> That's uh, interesting. It's I've had a few, but I would have to say probably being that I had a motocross background uh, and then transitioned into into racing cars, uh, one of the people that I really look up to is, uh, is Jeff Ward. Um, obviously, he had lots of accomplishments racing motocross and then uh, transitioned into IndyCar and had a lot of success there. And uh, I've talked to a lot of people who had the pleasure of working with Jeff, and they, they talk about you know a lot of things he did as a as a race car driver that was just totally different than than you know a lot of things that were traditionally done uh, because he didn't come from a, a, a racing background of, of cars it was you know motocross so he did kind of break the mold on you know little things here and there that you know are interesting that you know, stories that you hear so uh, I, I have to say he was probably probably my racing idol growing up and what are your racing goals for 2019 uh, my racing goals for 2019 obviously include uh, the, the F3 Americas Championship and uh, basically as a young driver, whatever else I can get my hands on. So <laughs> that's, that's really it. 
Well, let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally, who's out in the freight of Washington and has a few questions for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. So my first question, how difficult was it to trans- to transition from F4 to F3? So I wouldn't say it was a, a, a difficult transition at all. It was just uh, – it's just change. It's really – it's really no different than going from a, a cart to a car. It's just, you know, it's basically the, the racing is the same. The driving is the same. It's just kind of like learning something a little new. And uh, I would I would say really, I mean, the, the first session in the car, it's a bit weird. You know, some, some things feel a bit awkward. Uh, obviously, there's, there's uh, a considerable more amount of speed there. Um, but I mean, after that, you get into the car, you know, the second session and it's, and it's basically just like picking up, you know, where, where you, you left off in, in the last race car, but it's just different, you know, different things that you're having to learn along the way. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy transition. I was pleasantly surprised. And, um, can you tell us a little bit more about the horsepower difference between the F4 and the F3? Yeah, so the F4 car is a naturally aspirated 160-horsepower uh, Civic Type R engine, uh, whereas you jump to the F3, which is the same engine platform, but it does have a turbo system, and it's going to be bumped up to 303 horsepower. So it's interesting. The the power delivery is what you know really changes with the uh, with the turbo added, and it's it's a really cool sensation. Um, I, I've driven turbo cars in the street but never a, a turbo race car so it was it was really interesting uh the the transition from a from a naturally aspirated car to the turbo car just in little things such as um you know anticipating when the boost comes in uh, as far as when you're getting on throttle coming you know co- coming through a corner and that kind of thing that you know it's just like a little uh you know a little adjustment but you know at the same time in, in my opinion the turbo car is so much fun to drive and my final question, can you tell us a little more about the halo? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people ask about the halo, and it's interesting because, you know, obviously from, from the outside of the car, you know, and it's a big visual difference, and, and it's been a lot of controversy on, on the actual aesthetics of it. But as a driver, um, for one, it, it does – bring a little bit of peace of mind knowing that you know if, if a car comes over you know obviously over the top of the cockpit or you know something large like a wheel or, or something that can really harm a driver uh you're obviously more protected from that and at the same time uh you really don't notice the halo while you're driving um when, when, you, when you really think about it most of the time where you're looking as far as uh you're always kind of looking ahead you're never looking dead straight and even when you are you don't notice it there is you know as soon as, as soon as you get going so it's uh i guess it's really no different than than driving a uh a sedan with you know a lot of times there's dividers in the windshield and that kind of thing you really don't notice it once you're driving it's it's really in my opinion just a, a positive safety feature so i know that you're uh you're interested in in Formula Racing, you've been in motocross um, with the new with the F3 and F4 cars. Do you have an, any sort of plan to to advance all the way up to Formula One? Would that be your ultimate racing goal? You know, so I think really, I mean, obviously, 
the pinnacle of the sport is, is, you know, whether you're in the States and it's IndyCar or whether you're in, in Europe and it's Formula One, uh, most people aspire to go to that, in which, you know, I can't say that I don't envy being at that level of motorsport. Uh, but I would say personally, for me, the career path that, that I would like to to pursue would be more endurance racing and, and sports car racing, uh, just because of, you know, a passion that I've always had for, for endurance racing and sports car racing. I've, I've kind of grown up more around that, that, uh, that side of things. And, and, uh, you know, I like the, I like the, the excitement of the driver changes and, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I would have to say that probably, uh, more the route I, I see myself going and would like to go, but obviously, like I mentioned earlier, as a young driver, uh, you know, you want to strap into whatever you have the opportunity to strap into. Well, that's a, it's a great attitude to have, and hopefully you have a, a long and successful career ahead of you. I'd love to see you show up in the sports car race at some point. I, I tend to go to the uh, the Rolex 24 every year, so it would be pretty cool to see you over there, and, and good luck with everything. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, and we'll talk to you. Hopefully we get to talk to you again maybe at the end of the year and, and see how your season in, in Formula 3 went. Sounds great. You have a good one. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Once again, that was Austin Kasuba. I'm hoping I don't butcher his name too much. Uh, he was a, uh, a last-minute change as Mitra Goldberg has a debriefing for the, the race he's going to be keeping in. So, once again, we'd like to thank him for coming on the show and hope to get to talk to him again in the future. He seemed like a pretty awesome, awesome young racer, and it'll be neat to see how his, how his story progresses. Trans Am Series presented by Pirelli Muscle Car Challenge was all about survival. On Sunday, a couple of weeks ago, nearly a month ago now, the TA2 powered by AEM drivers amped up their aggressiveness for the Motor City Dash, risking everything for a chance to permanently add their names to the list of winning drivers in the long Trans Am history racing of Detroit. Celebrating his 100th career Trans Am start, Tony Ave in the number, 40, number 25 BC race cars machine took the lead in the final laps to claim his 19th career Trans Am victory and his first ever Trans Am win on the streets of Belle Isle. Dylan McCavern in the number 77 liquid Molly prefix Ford Mustang dodged traffic and accident to finish second, and Tony Bucamonte in the number 34 Mike Cope racing recovered from a spin into the barriers to fight back for a third-place finish. Misha Goikberg in the number 10 BC race car Chevrolet Camaro started on pole but lost the lead to Bucamonte after the green flag dropped. Bufamonte quickly built a gap from the field, leading the pack of 17 TA2 cars by more than a second before losing it on its own in turn 7. The 2018 Detroit Grand Prix winner spun backwards, making hard contact with the back of the car into the barriers. Fortunately for the Illinois native, the Ford Mustang continued under its own power, but Bufamonte never regained the lead as McCavern seized first. Dropping back to third, Saturday's race winner, Goldberg, weaved back and forth from the inside and then to the outside of Macavern. Hitting the curbing on the horseshoe turn, Goldberg went spinning around the circuit and collected podium contenders Rafa Matos and Lawless Allen in the process. Goldberg and Allen continued, but the reigning day two champions charged the end to the top, ended as Matos number, eight, number 88. The Lear three-dimensional services group Ford Mustang was towed back to the pit. Now that's a little bit of a of something that we wanted to discuss with uh, with Goldberg this evening because he has a little bit different memory than what the official story is. 
but unfortunately he was not able to join us. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to him in two weeks. I'm, I'm trying to schedule that as, as we speak. BNC brought out the first of two full course cautions. Goikberg worked his way back up through traffic to take second, challenging McCavern for the lead. Following McCavern's, McCavern's bumper, Goikberg tapped the back of the number 77 as McCavern braked for traffic. Goikberg's back end got boost, causing him to smash into the tire barrier as turn seven claimed another victim. McCavern lost momentum, clearing the lapsed traffic in front of him, opening the door for Ab to take the lead. Goikberg's incident brought out the safety car. With limited time on the clock, the debris was not cleared before the 75-minute clock expired and the session ended under yellow. Local drivers Mark Miller and Jordan Dick also had their share of issues on the 14-turn, 2.35-mile course. Dick lined up for the start at the Marcy Dash, but scratched with mechanical issues. Championship leader Miller started the race in fourth, but early contact sent Miller into the turn three wall. The home state favorite charged his way from the back of the field into the top five, but a breaking issue sent Miller back to the back on the way to a 13th place finish. Matt Parent in the number 14 Venture Construction Ford Mustang received the Cool Shirts Cool Move of the Race Award following his best finish of the season in seventh. The TA2 drivers have a two-month break before returning to the prestigious Indianapolis Motor Speedway August 1st through the 4th supporting SVRA. For full results, championship points, and photos from the event, visit GoTransAm.com. we still got a minute or two until we're expecting Tony Ave to call in, so let's go ahead and listen to another selection from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. Let's go with... Where is it? There it is. Let's go with your last when you crash.
Once again, that was Last When You Crash by Ron Passan and the Pit Crew. All of our guests this evening have had experience with that sort of issue in modern auto racing. Hopefully they don't have that any more experience with that later in the season. It's now time to turn our attention back to the world of Trans Am Racing as we welcome Tony Ave to the program. Hello, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. First off, let me go ahead and congratulate you on your on your recent win in Detroit. And now I'm going to go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally in Afredo, Washington, who has a few questions to get you started this evening. Sounds great. So my first question, what is the toughest part about road course racing? I think probably just having to deal with the diversity of the tracks that we go to. You go from shorter, tight street courses to really fast places like Road America. So that's probably the toughest thing. And where do you think motorsports as a whole will be in the next five years? I think it's going to continue to grow as long as the various sanctioning bodies embrace uh, the social media aspect of it. And, and there will be a lot more viewership through apps, I think. You won't be probably as many people in the seats. Um, or at least it won't be measured the same, but I think more people will actually be watching it because they'll be able to do it right on their telephones. And what's the fastest you've been in a race car? Uh, I believe we went about 2.30 in uh, driving Indy cars. Wow. And my final question for you, what steps did you have to take to get your start in racing? So for me, I grew up in northern Wisconsin, and so – uh, I started racing snowmobiles, and I was able to parlay that, uh, some success racing snowmobiles, into a car racing career. Um, obviously, Jill Villeneuve had paved the way for that, so that's what I did. What's your favorite part about driving in Trans Am? Uh, the competition, for sure. It's just uh, really tight competition, So I, and the cars are obviously cool, but I definitely enjoy the competition. I know recently you've you've done a little bit of work in the uh, in the design side. Had your name put on the a uh, a car in the in the P3 competition. Do you have any yep. any interest in expanding your your competition in IMSA, or is your focus going to be on Trans Am for the next couple of years anyway? As far as manufacturing and building cars, it will be more in Trans Am and more on uh, the SCCA side because the rules are much more liberal there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, racing in IMSA would be is something that we want to do more of. But we would we wouldn't be doing it with cars that we designed ourselves. We would be doing that with with uh, cars that we would buy from manufacturers like Ferrari or Porsche or something like that. How do you feel that the uh, the whole sports car uh, racing thing as a whole is going with the, the changes that they've discussed in Europe and the, the modifications they might have to make in, in the United States to sort of encourage people from Europe to come over here and race? Well, that's always a tough thing. There, there's uh, the, the deal is it would be it would be great if there was one set of rules globally, but at the end of the day, 
both sides have relatively healthy fields, and so they can sort of survive on their own. I think, um, I do think at the moment, my personal opinion is that IMSA is is on a better track with their DPI cars right now than you know, I really was hoping that the the ACO and the FIA were going to kind of go that way, but they've decided to go more on the supercar thing. So we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite favorite track on the Trans Am circuit? I would say uh would be a cross between Road America and VIR. Uh I really like the faster tracks and and uh those are two of the fastest. I know you've had a long career spanning all different sorts of, of motorsports, but what's your favorite memory of all time, your favorite racing memory? Man, those are tough. I think uh to be honest, you know, there's quite a few of them. Uh Pro Sprint World Snowmobile Championship I won in ninety three. Uh, there's just been a lot of them, but I, I have to say that the Detroit win ranks right up there because we don't run full time in that series and it's so competitive and to go in there and be able to win the race against guys half my age, that, that's, that ranks way up there. And, uh, my colleague asked about the, where the motorsports as a whole is going to be in the next five years. My question is, what do you think the Trans Am series is going to be like in the next five years? Well, I think we have great opportunity for growth. I think, um, you know, I think our format is right. We don't have, our races are 100 miles, so they're about an hour-ish. I really think that's about the right length. I I just don't know that people are that interested in watching races for multiple hours as much as they used to, right? So uh, I think the Trans Am format is right. I think the cars are right. And, you know, with just a little bit of, momentum it could really just kind of grow keep growing you know who knows how far it could really go well we'd like to thank you very much for me on the program this evening and wish you lots of luck in the in the rest of the trans am series as well as the whatever other more sports opportunities you have going on for the next year thank you very much i appreciate it thank you have a great evening Once again, that was Tony Abe, and we'd like to thank him very much for coming on the program this evening. He has a, an amazing history in, in more sports, and hopefully he has a lot more years to go. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge, huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Mullally or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. The Sadeland Six Hours of Glen is a crown jewel of endurance racing. With a history dating back to the late 1960s and a list of winners that include some of the greatest road races of all time, the annual six-hour battle of the, the 3.4-mile Watkins Glen International Circuit is a bona fide big one. This Sunday, the IMSO WeatherTech Sports Car Championship returns for another six-hour battle at the Glen, beginning at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Time. The race, which also marks the third round of the IMSO Michelin Endurance Cup, will be televised on the NBC Sports Network beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, June 30th, with live streaming of the race in its entirety on the NBC Sports app and NBCSports.com beginning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. <coughs> IMSA Radio will also have live coverage throughout the weekend on IMSA.com and RadioLamans.com with complete race coverage also airing on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Sirius Channel 218, XM Channel 202, and Streaming 972. The list of previous six hours of the Glen winners reads like a motorsports. Who's who? Legendary names in road racing like Jackie Ick, Mario Andretti, Brian Redman, Joe 
Seifert, Peter Gregg, and Hurley Haywood were among the winners in the first 10 years of the event. The late 70s and early 1980s saw more legendary names like Hans, jo- Hans Joachim, Stuck, Rick Mears, Johnny Rutherford, Derek Bell, and Al Holbert added to six hours of the Glens winners list. Beginning in September 1984 and running through the mid-90s, the race length changed to 500 kilometers, but still more legendary names like Geoff Brabham, Chip Robinson, and Juan Manuel Fangio II were winners at the Glen. The six hours returned in 1996, and aside from 1998, has been run every year since. Over the past 20 years, even more legends' names like Scott Pruitt, Bill Oberlin, Andy Lawley, Christian Filipaldi, and Joe Barbosa have pulled into victory lane after six grueling hours. The Watkins Glen International Circuit is another key contributor to the event's prestige. Between 1948 and 1952, racing in Watkins Glen was done on a 6.6-mile course, utilizing streets and roads in and around the small village in the Finger Lakes region of western New York. The permanent road course began at its current location in 1956. And Watkins Glen hosted Formula One Grand Prix races for 20 years, beginning in 1961. The Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series was raced on a 2.45-mile Watkins Glen short course every year since 1986, and IndyCar has also raced there several times, which all adds to the mystique of the Glen. Whose bravery will be rewarded on Sunday? Who will join the illustrious list of Salem's Six Hours of Glen winners? Tune in to NBC Sports or Instagram Radio and get your tickets now at theglen.com to find out. The Sprint Race Brazil Championship will have one more big name on its grid during the unpublished races in the United States. Julia Yasmin Piquet confirmed her participation in the International Cup and debuted in the category aboard the Sprint number 73. She will feel the thrill of accelerating the iconic circuits of Homestead on June 30th and Sebring on June 7th, July 7th in Florida. It will be a new experience for Julia Piquet, who experienced the passion for motorsports since she was small as the daughter of one of the biggest names in world motorsports, three-way Formula One champion Nelson Piquet, in addition to the brothers who share the same feelings. Julia Piquet will take turns sprint number seven, in the sprint number 73 car with, with the rookie Wagner Pontus, who competes in D4U in this country. Three of the nine stages of the Sprint 2019 race make up the International Cup. Any additional races in the United States, the third and fourth stages this weekend in Homestead and next weekend in Sebring. The tournament also includes, it includes those of Posadas, Argentina, which is the seventh stage on October 20th. The races will have the same format as the national calendar, with two official workouts, two individual leaderboards, and two 23-minute races, and one more lap. Should be an interesting series of racing this weekend and next weekend. I'm not sure which one I'm going to go to. I'm either going to the one in Homestead or the one in Sebring. I'm kind of thinking Sebring, simply because Homestead was way too hot when I went down there the last time, and, and Sebring has a teeny bit of shade. Although it is the middle of the state, it's about the same distance away from here, so it should be pretty cool to go over there and see how they compete. Um, honestly, I'd never actually heard of the Sprint Race International Series until I saw a posting about them on the uh, on the FARA Facebook page, which is pretty much how they've been advertising the race, which means that it might not be the, the most attended event, but it will be pretty awesome to see. There are a lot of amazing names taking part in the in the event. In addition to Julia Piquet, there's also uh, who is it? Bruno Jantara, 
uh, former Formula One driver, who I believe I've actually gotten to talk to once before. His son, Ralph, will also be there. Uh, Max Pappas is going to be competing. And there are rumors of, uh, of uh, Figueroa, the driver who's in the, uh, who'll be competing in Watkins Glen this weekend. She might be there as well. So that'll be kind of awesome to see all those different drivers. And it's a different series. It's kind of neat looking. And hopefully it, uh, it turns into something. So what are the big racing news events taking place over in your part of the country? Mm. I don't know. The World of Outlaws was over here. And eh, I mean, there's just a bunch of circled track local racing that's going on right now. Um, we did just have the... Uh, Shoot, what were they called? The the race boats. What are they? The hydros were just here, like about five miles away in the mm-hmm. lake in Soap Lake. So I think things are just starting to get started now that summer is upon us. However, we haven't had the best weather for racing sports as a lot of things have been rained out lately. But nothing to report on yet and I say yet because still trying to get everything planned out but I think it's going to be a good year for racing over here cool I think you should be the navigator in one of the uh, one of the boats because I saw they had a, a race from I think like the extreme action park or something somewhere in in Washington state where they have the the little course that's dug out of the dug into like a a field with a really the hundred and something mile an hour boats going down in in a foot of water around a a really insane cut out course. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, no, that definitely I think would be pretty fun. But have you seen mm-hmm. some of their wrecks? If you get bored, YouTube their wrecks. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think they're called speed boats or something like that, but Man, when they fly off that course, they fly. There you go. So you have experience flying. You end up with the with your one your one incident, but you're on top of another another race car. So flying through the air in a boat would be just as just as interesting, I would think. It might make for more interesting highlight reels. Hey, I mean another thing to add under my belt, I guess. So let's do it. There you, there you go. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to, to read all the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com. The past few days I've been a little bit slow at work, so I've had a, a chance to work on some of the stuff on SpeedwayDigest.com a little bit. I put out I think more than two dozen articles in the past week. So be sure to check them out in the racing news section as well as the Speedway news section of SpeedwayDigest.com. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Plum's Fantastic Finds. I've also had a lot of good stories coming out of there. I'm getting some feedback, some positive feedback on my new story time for grown-ups thing that I did on Palm Beach Happening. So I've got the, uh, some more books that I'm doing reviews of. I also have a, uh, a restaurant review about the Avocado Grill, which is where I dined last week at this time. Uh, so that should be coming out in the next few days. I'm waiting for information from the, from the chef. He'll be sending me 
some more stuff about that in the next couple of days. So be sure to check that out. At uh, you can find the the information on Facebook, Twitter, and by heading to for Borplums Fantastic Finds That's F A B O R P L U M B S Fantastic Finds Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Thanks again, and have a great week, and happy Fourth of July, too. We we actually won't be here next week. We'll be here in two weeks, so be sure to, to stand by for that, and have a great Independence Day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.